This week on the Lords of Grantham podcast, we are talking the Gilded Age Season 2. We're recapping storylines, doing power rankings of all the characters across the season, and really just talking about how we ultimately felt about this season. Let's get to it. Oh God, running to the altar like a track star. Can't wait another second. Cause the way you hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, feel so holy. And we're back from the world of chocolate with Wonka to <laughs> once again discuss season two of the Gilded Age, especially now knowing that season three is confirmed. So yes. how's it going, Corey? Okay. I mean, we just recorded a couple of days ago, and the thing that bothered me after we stopped recording was that Jim Carter's eyebrows and Wonka... Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot to comment. They are out of control. And I had to do a double check to just see how he looks in Downton, uh, Jim Carter, as, as Carson. His eyebrows are nowhere near as all over the map as they are in uh, Wonka. And I guess in real life, he does let his eyebrows grow out. So I'm just curious, like, did he trim his eyebrows when he was filming Downton? Did some, was there someone who was assigned to working on his eyebrows? Because they are. They're a wicked beast. Well, I wonder if it has to do with the the prestige of being a staff at a house versus being a uh, weird shut-in at a, uh, you know, indentured servitude hotel in Wonka. It, it, it does make him look a little bit more eccentric to have the, the eyebrows just shooting out every which way. I wonder what uh, he's like in all of his other movies. Cause we really, you don't see a lot of Jim Carter popping up that much. If you see, days. if you just Google search Jim Carter, this is a man who lets the hair grow. His whole, all his hair on his head too. He's got no, like just a ponytail. The just the eyebrows alone. <laughs> just the eyebrows. The rest is Which, quaffed and maintained. The, the older I get, the more I realize I have to stay on top of that with myself. It just mm-hmm. it doesn't look right if you don't if you don't keep those eyebrows in check. Yeah, I know we we told our fans that we were going to pay more attention to the fashion of it all. So this is our male fashion tip. If you yeah, I mean, if you don't if you don't want to look like Abacus Crunch and Wonka, keep your eyes on your brows. It's quite curious because I'm looking at a photo right now of Jim Carter with the top button unbuttoned of his shirt. And he, he doesn't have that much hair popping out. And he's clean shaven, but those eyebrows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something wicked. Anyways, that that's what people come here to listen about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that and I mean, I think if while we're talking about Wonka thoughts, totally went over our heads that Abacus Crunch is, is a math thing. And he says he's an accountant. I think we mm-hmm. spent so many months... Looking at that poster, thinking that Willy Wonka, Abacus Crunch, it didn't occur to us that he would be an accountant. So when they called him an accountant in the movie, we didn't put the pieces together because in our heads we just kept thinking Abacus Crunch. Sounds like a, <laughs> Jim sounds like a Nestle Abacus Crunch. Crunch. I wasn't thinking numbers yeah. crunching, I was thinking Nestle Crunching. So to mm-hmm. all the listeners that may have been shaking their fists, I know our, our good friend Estelle kind of pointed that out. And maybe that's just because she's a, a Brit herself. Uh, former Brit, so uh, apologies, but also that marketing that marketing that. got in our head, <laughs> that yeah. poster. But enough about Wonka. You can hear all our Wonka thoughts in last week's episode. Yep, we're here. We're here to discuss to the Gilded Age. <laughs> indeed, indeed, and talk over each other. But yeah, Gilded Age season two. We're going to talk about the whole season, and, and and now that we're officially, I've mentioned it earlier, officially locked in for season three, we can make some predictions, and we can talk about 
those power rankings that have been adding up every week in the end of our episodes. For those newer listeners, that might be like, they talk about these power rankings, but what do they mean? Mm-hmm. This is what they mean. We this is these episodes are what they mean. We're breaking yeah. down. We tally them up. We throw them in spreadsheets, and we tell you who had by the numbers the best season, the worst season. Hmm. Well, just to start off, Dave. Was this season better than season one? I think so. I had to think about. I had to, to shake my head a few times for that. But yeah, I feel like. I think. The thing with ensemble pieces, and I think Downton is a good example of this. As well, you know, Downton as well in the Julian world of it all. It takes a lot of time to sink your teeth into characters. Mm-hmm. And good moments come and go. So last week or last season we did get Borden, the revelation. We did get the Turner drama. And we did get to learn about everybody, but we didn't really get to sink our teeth into everybody. And this season, I think we did a lot more sinking our teeth in. So yeah, I think this is probably the same quality-wise, but because we know the characters... I just feel more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say the show rises and falls based on the storylines that they have in store for the characters. Because mm-hmm. um, spoiler alert for our power rankings, one thing I was surprised by by going through my power rankings, I didn't have Peggy ranked going down or up at all this season. <laughs> and I think we can both agree she was our favorite character from season one. And I feel like the plot lines of the season did everything to keep her away from the main uh, you know, characters, quote unquote, of you know the Van Ryans and uh, the Russells, and not to and say their respective was... staffs. Even she's barely interacts with Armstrong. Yeah, and it's not to say she was too deeply interwoven with all that in the first season, but they spent so much time on on her working on the newspaper and everything. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, where are we going with this? And then ultimately, by the end of the season, we realize not really anywhere. Just, just you know, she's going to keep doing it somewhere else. And it, right. it just um, for for her it was for me it was just disappointing seeing where they went with her in terms of her storyline for the season because I think they started off something promising with her the triangle of her father trying to make good again and then you know the mom siding with Peggy but then because even like in season one her mom wasn't fully on Peggy's side because she was annoyed that she moved out but we mm-hmm. don't really see more of that until close to the end of the season with the the school stuff and so I, I, seeing these seeing someone like her who's so you know, full of life, get wrapped up in worrying about T. Thomas Fortune and will they, won't they? And we yeah, know it's the, not the male approval person. of a married it, guy seems below her quality of character. Yeah. Uh, but then conversely, you have uh, a plot line with Larry getting it on with Miss Blaine. Mm-hmm. That was the highlight of the season. This is great. He didn't do anything in season one. <laughs> and it would drop like a bad habit, too. Like, mm hmm. The first scene, he just hovers in the background and says, Dad, I want to be an a architect. That's his whole yeah. gimmick. This season, oh, he's yeah. fleshed out. You could cut the season in half and say that Larry may be the MVP of episodes one through four, and then he's just not a factor in the back half at all. Well, it com- comes back in the in the last episode. Ah, not that strong, for me at least. What, with I need him tooth, back in Larry, the, the tooth kiss? bed. Yeah, the toothy kiss. I'm, I'm glad that one of our listeners also echoed that it was an awkward-looking kiss, because it mm-hmm. absolutely was. Um, but yeah, I would say, on the whole, this is more entertaining than the first season. And like you said, I don't even know if it's so much that we sunk deeper into some characters, that it's more that we know them. So like, yeah, there's little there's, moments. There's like, no pleasantries. 
Right. It, it, so little moments like McAllister having to cross the street and looking very hurried and bothered. We know McAllister at this point. So a little beat like that resonates and is mm-hmm. funnier because we know him. Uh, and Trotter, I mean, Trotter is a good example of this. Like Julian, we, we said it all last season with Watson. We're like, what is the point? We don't know this guy. Mm-hmm. He does nothing. He is a, a, he's, a a, he's just a, a bald guy walking around New York. He's like you, Wait, but bald guy. some odd oh, years you, ago. Not Jack Trotter. You mean Watson? I, I, yeah, I, I started talking about Watson. I said Watson. Jeez and Louise. Quickly buddy. moved on. Okay. Um, yeah, so Watson is just like a guy walking around New York mm-hmm. City, stalking someone, and that's all we know. And then you just say, I need more. And just because yep. of the time crunch, we don't get more. So thankfully in season two, it's just more time to, to explore. And granted, I would have loved it though if they never followed up on it and it would just be like, "What is that bald guy's deal from season one? Why was I he think following that was that lady one of our big predictions, which was a sarcastic prediction, was nothing would happen and he would continue <laughs> to wander. So yeah, I, I think with the arc of season two, it's quite clear they just didn't have time for it in season one because they were teeing it up and it just seemed like they never had enough time to get to it. And because there mm-hmm. wasn't much thread to that story, because really with, with Collier and Watson it's as soon as he lets her know that he's the the father the guy's like I want you out of here and then he spends the next six episodes hemming and hawing well I don't know <laughs> is that supposed to be what's happening here but uh, to ultimately get exactly what we predicted and mm-hmm. turn things around in his favor yeah Dave were there any highlights in terms of stories from this year for you uh good question um uh, I mean, we said Trotter. I feel like that was a very interesting one. Mm-hmm. Rather, not interesting, but it was interesting. It, it was curious how Julian, you know, I, I sometimes when we talk about these ensemble shows, we use professional wrestling analogies. And one one consistent thing you see in, in wrestling analysis, because wrestling like this show is sort of an ensemble variety show over the course of several hours. In Gilded Age, it's it's all about placement. It's not mm-hmm. about whether you're the A plot, the B plot, the C plot. It's is your plot interesting and is your plot returned to? So you want to talk Are you about, getting screen time? Yeah. So like Borden, for example, we get a little bit of stories with her and Bruce. Kind of exciting, not that exciting. But the placement that Trotter gets is what makes his plot good because you, it's stupid. It's nothing. But every week you're like, he keeps on picking away at this clock something's gonna happen and then it does kind of culminate in something towards the end of the season so i'll give trotter that the downstairs plot of the season what about you yeah i mean because it, it, it is kind of echoing some of the downstairs staff from from downton where you have uh what's her name Ro- rose leslie who wants to become a, a writer uh, in season one gwen yeah and then just kind of following that thread through, through several episodes then you even have daisy trying to get an education one season stuff like that mm-hmm. so it's just like you can just touch on that in between things um so no it, it is it, you're, you're definitely right there dave that like when it builds to something it, it, it they're definitely doing something right and if julian's not interested in it he will drop it like we did with with larry you know it, it served mm-hmm. its purpose you can move well, on who knows i don't think he dropped We'll, we'll get to predictions. I don't think he dropped that for yeah. no reason. Yeah. But I will say the best plot line for this season, and the one will, that will be most memorable, I think, when we look back on the season, is uh, Ada and Reverend Forte. Oh, yeah. By obviously. a long shot. Because Julian's 
not to make a pun, but his forte is making a sweeping romance. And he nailed it because we know Ada just from the first season. We didn't do much with her, but we knew that she was a bit of a sad sack. Nothing mm, going on. With Old her. Lady Edith, so, if you will. Exactly. So it wouldn't take much to kind of, you know, have her in uh, throes of a, of a man. But making it such a goodly man like Forte from the church, there's no, like, you know, uh, pitfall with this guy. He is as true to be good as he, he can be, even though we had mm. our doubts earlier in the season. It makes it hurt all the much more that he's gone so quickly, too. And so it really has that absolute high, absolute low. It's going to stick with you. And I think he, he really did nail telling that story, even if it wasn't how he wanted it to go. And then he gives us one last sort of bing high note with the money. Yeah. So, yeah, that's up there for me in terms of, of the storylines. It should have been so obvious, too, looking back at the penultimate episode where Oscar lost all the money and Forte is gone that he was going to leave behind some mm-hmm. money. We should have saw that because <laughs> yeah. he's done that before. Yeah, Julian uh, likes to say, but in doubt and Julian did the thing where he really dragged out, what are we going to do with this money? What are we going to do with this money? Ada's like, we're safe. Period. Yeah. <laughs> End of story. See you right. next season. And honestly, I would say... Forte next to him and Jack Trotter, low key MVPs for the season. Like not even just their plot lines, just like whenever they came on the screen, it was just like, oh, we got something going on here. They're mm-hmm. they're going to do placement. something here as soon as they sh- they're magnetic and you use them. Because mm-hmm. I think I think if you want to talk about placement in the plot, Borden is is funny. He has a unique mm-hmm. look compared to the rest of them, which I think is an understated thing in these shows. Is if your shirt is brighter and different, you pop. Gordon yeah. looks different. He did. He he had a terrible placement this season. He's like Bates in the yeah. latter half of Downton Abbey. Like you had a lot of time invested into whatever his weird twist was going to be. It happened. Mm-hmm. Julian gets his little yucks from the fact that he's not really French, and then he's like, mm, "You go <laughs> hang out with Bruce in the background." But the placement in season one was ten out of ten. The placement in yeah. season two was like four out of ten. He's got to figure out what to do next with them. It's going to be him engaging with Bruce, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about lowlights, Dave? Any ones that were just like, what were we doing here this season? We touched on it already. I think mm-hmm. Peggy is the biggest ball drop in this whole show. And we talked yeah. a little bit about her, pl- again, placement in season one, placement in this season. Um, in season one, I think we were so dynamic. And in this season, we start with the potential of her meeting the family of her deceased son. We realize mm-hmm. the son is dead, which is a huge immediate gut punch for pegheads yes. in the world. Like us. <laughs> we, we, we are had, legion. Yeah. We had Peggy very high. I think she might have been number one on the power rankings last year. Let me take a look. She absolutely was, at least for me. Peggy was number one collect of our group collectively. And this season, um, she just hovers in the middle. Like she does nothing. So the fact that Julian... It feels disrespectful. Mm-hmm. So so she comes into the season dynamic from last year. Immediate gut punch, the baby's dead. And then t- little uptick. Oh, the, the adoptive father is also single and a nice guy and a sympathetic guy. Yank him out of the picture. Yeah. But, but you can see they're going for something with the whole Tuskegee trip and her, you know working with the schools to improve things. So they are trying to surface some stuff that we wouldn't th- think about otherwise. 
but the thing is, it's just the Peggy of it. Like, yes, that stuff is interesting, but it just it's not interesting for Peggy as a character no, necessarily. It's interesting it, for for her culture, right? Because you can even say like, you know, this is a good opportunity for Peggy, who's been raised in Brooklyn this her entire life, only knows New York to kind of get a better sense of the world. Okay, she sees it. How does that influence her? How does that change mm-hmm. her or reshape what she wants to do? Like, do, would it push her to be more, you know, forthright with driving, you know, her own career? But no, instead, it's her relationship with Tuskegee that's influencing her career. Not Tuskegee, with T. Thomas Fortune that's influencing her career. It's like, mm-hmm. really? That That's what we're going to do? That's what she's going to take away from that? And she, does, does, she doesn't deserve that. I mean, obviously, there was a tension, romantic tension there. Mm-hmm. But you could have easily introduced T. Thomas Fortune's brother and had her actually seal the deal and it not be some ethical... An imaginary brother? <laughs> yeah, who cares? His next yeah. neighbor... You know, it could yeah, have done or, anything. Yeah, so the same anagram or uh, amalgamation of people uh, in that world that's made up for the show. It gives um, her and T. Thomas Fortune gives me the, gives me the ick in the worst way possible for this kind of show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Peggy's a low, do you have do you have any low lifes that are not Peggy? Um, I would like to. I, I the strike feels like it was too in the background for the emphasis that they give it in the later mm-hmm. part of the season because it's, it's by the same token like you know it's all about screen time there there's like one or two episodes where it just kind of goes unmentioned or like not even thought about but you're supposed to be like well this is building this is going to be a problem and the fact that it's so in the background really kind of gutted any drama for when the showdown happens it's like well this can't escalate to something much worse because it hasn't been given that much thought throughout the season i mean it's more just the point for Julian to show how the other side of life is, and he effectively shows that. But again, it's I don't know. It's, you can see there's like ebbing interest from Julian with it because George, the 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 highest drama that George faces is between him and uh, Bertha with, with Miss Turner returning. That that's the, mm-hmm. the the drama that he he leans into more than anything. It feels. But then once um, he's out of the doghouse, it seems like smooth sailing. He manipulates the union into getting what he wants. Yep. The only real L he, I'm, the only obvious L he takes is when the faith is shaken in his little goon squad of, of union busters. Mm-hmm. Right, because he seems more shaken up, at least when Bertha's shaken up by, uh, mm-hmm. by the revelation than anything. Because uh, you can see it when he gets angry. <laughs> um, but, you know, one plot line that it was the central one of the season is the whole opera house. Did that work for you, Dave? Because that's is what everything revolves around. Yeah. I think that worked pretty well because it came yeah. to a, you really didn't know where it was going to go in the end because obviously like maybe the historians of the world and the Anglophiles know a little better, but I didn't know. I mean, I knew that the Met didn't like, I didn't, I didn't know whether the, the Met boomed immediately. So yeah, I I was really waiting for that last episode to really hit. And when it does hit, and when people start leaving the Academy to go to the Met before the show even starts, huge. What about you? Yeah. I, I, I It did take a lot of turns. It did kind of feel like it was kind of going in circles, where like one week we have more people for the boxes. Oh, we don't have more people from the boxes. Oh, do we have money or not? But the thing that 
kind of kept it in neutral for me. I think it it it, it worked well enough with like the whole Duke of it all, and then Turner being woven in, and, and and like you know, there's a lot of turns that that worked and kept it mm-hmm. fresh throughout the season. But ultimately, it boiled back down to Bertha versus Aster, and we saw that last year with Bertha versus Miss Aster, and Bertha got one over on her with the, holding the ball out of her house and everything. And so there was something that felt a little. I don't know, repetitive with them going down that road again this year because the way things are teed up at the end of last season and even at the beginning of the season, for a brief moment, you're thinking, oh, what's it going to look like with them kind of cohabitating this space? And it doesn't seem like that's going to be the the story. It's going to be her just running down Miss Astor with mm-hmm. all the, the power that she has on her side. And it's like we've kind of seen it now twice. So I hope for next season they, they shake it up a little bit, their relationship at least. Yeah, I mean... One big looming question is where does Ward McAllister fit into all of this? And will this be a worthwhile two-season tee-up to a real class war? Or rather, a real upper crust, new money versus old money war? And, and uh, you know, going back to that screen time thing, how much time do we spend with Miss Aster? Because that's the thing. The war feels a little one-sided because we don't sit with Aster all that much. It's we, really... I think we get a lot more Aster this season than last season. That's absolutely correct. But it's really Ward McAllister being caught between those two. Uh-huh. That <laughs> you're kind of... Because we know him. We, we know he's just trying to get ahead as much as he can, but... That's where my my sympathies go when when I'm watching the, these two. It's just like what's what's going to happen to Ward of it all. I know Bertha's going to be fine. Aster's going to be fine. They all got money, but what's going to happen to Ward? Yeah, where's Ward sleeping at night? What's his house look like? Please, I I we I think that would be such a payoff if we get a see a, a, a strong story with uh, Nathan Lane next year. Well, he's I mean him and I think that's where you run into the problems that him and, and Aster are based on real people. Yeah. Like, you really can't do too, too much. You can't have him die. You know, you can't. No. You can't just get shot off screen or, or you know, the McAllister estate might be like, hey, calm down over there. <laughs> right. And similarly neutral, the Marion plot line, because, again, it's her being pursued by a guy well, I guess Rakes and her are mutual in season one, but we know it's not going to be the one. We've already been teased Larry, so it's just another kind of mm-hmm. red shirt to kind of prolong her getting together with Larry, who she has moon eyes for. And so it's just kind of like, all right, let's just go through the motions here. <laughs> and it seems too nice. You know, you want, yeah. like, the reason that Richard Carlisle and Down Abbey is so memorable is because he's nasty. Mm-hmm. You see what Mary is attracted to. You see why Mary accepts his proposals. But he's nasty and he does little things here and there that make you annoyed and upset with him. And I think Dashiell has that moment where he, after the proposal, where he says, you're not a real teacher, where Marion is like, what? And then then the rest of the thing is you just realize Dashiell's not over his dead wife. It's not... Make na- make him say like one or two nasty things. It doesn't reflect poorly or, on the daughter. Yeah, just give it stakes because like mm-hmm. what you're saying there with Mary and Carlisle, they could uh, she's just gonna be with a nasty man for the rest of her life. That's her fate if she ends up with Carlisle. With Mary and if she ends up with Dashiell, it's just gonna be like, well, she's not working. She's not getting to teach like she wants. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a bummer! <laughs> like that. I mean, that's not the, the worst thing in the world. Um, yeah, it's not. Um, it's not Ozzy Whitworth and Poldark. Like she's not doomed to yeah. an eternity of like torture, emotional and physical torture. She's just like, oh, 
You're not in love with him? And then Agnes will be like, I wasn't in love with my husband. And look at all the good stuff you're getting from that. Yeah. Uh, conversely, though, it was given even less screen time. But I do think the Oscar storyline was successful this year, though. Oh, yeah. I think Oscar had a huge, huge improvement character-wise. And, you know, screen time placement-wise, you care about him more. Mm-hmm. When when you see that he goes and gets beat up on Easter because he's at a bar and he tries to go home with a guy, you're like, he's doing this because he's depressed. You know, he's not doing it because sure. he's in the prime of his life. And then that informs so much of him this season where Glad- Gladys gets knocked out immediately. And then mm-hmm. obviously we get our, get our friend, uh, what's their name? John Adams? Or Omad Beaton? Yeah, Maud Beaton. That <laughs> she changed the game, you know. Yeah, and they have chemistry. They have actual chemistry, which I feel like, aside from Bertha and uh, George, not too many couples have chemistry on the show. Like real, like sparks. I feel, and I feel like they they actually had it just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, especially which, well. The thing, the irony that they have actual chemistry because he's gay and doesn't want anything to do with her physically. Mm-hmm. So I mean, maybe both of them were putting on. Maybe she goes for people that she knows are need beards, and she takes their money. Yeah. Hopefully, we, we circle back on that next season because that's too ripe of a fruit. When it, she Agnes comes back says, and swindles them for Get more, my money back now. Yeah, I need, I need Oscar, globe trekking, trying to track down my money, his his family fortune. Yeah. I think those are, I mean, we mentioned Ada and, and Forte already. The, the, those are a lot of the, the broad strokes of the characters on the show. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a few downstairs ones. You know, Armstrong's still miserable. That that one's given the least lip service. <laughs> um, yeah. Gladys is kind of given a, a bad hand considering her coming mm. out or her, you know, coming out to society party is the big finale last year. And it is a mystery to me that you have Tysa Formiga, who a lot of our audiences are aware of, at least if you see the Nun films, mm-hmm. and like a handful uh-huh. of others. She's been in things. Big, like, big Nun fans in the Gilded Age. <laughs> I mean, maybe. There's got to be a crossover there. Uh, but like, you'd think they'd do more with this known quantity of an actress. Instead, she's even second fiddle to, to Marion, mm-hmm. which maybe is design of her character, but... You can see moments this year where she has, like, you know, she's trying to advocate for herself to find a man and stuff. And it is sweet when George says, I want you to find a man. And now, hopefully, season three will be kind of the follow through of, like, her anger towards her mom for not letting that happen. Like, let, let her, you know, have some moments to really bite into this character and have some, uh, humph. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, maybe Julian was just teeing this one up as, as he does with the. Duke, like he's, mm-hmm. we will see this come to fruition in some way, but. Because we, I mean, you even think about it on Downton, how much have the daughters protested the man, aside from Mary in season one with Matthew, how strongly mm-hmm. have they been like, I don't want to be with this guy no matter what, <laughs> Carlisle too, but different situations. Yeah, we never, really, Julian really doesn't like uh, having to like pay the piper for that. Mm-hmm. He likes his characters kind of to be in love marriages or, or be like Edith and Downton and be in two relationships that are positive but have obstacles and then both of those guys either die or leave her at the altar until, you know, she finds her man at the end. 
Yeah, have them all be happily together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm curious to see because now with you know Bertha arranging this Duke with with Gladys, like, and this is maybe we can get some predictions for season three. Like, how does Julian handle Bertha not looking like an outright villain? Which is kind of crazy that this far into the show, he hasn't made us outright hate George and Bertha, even though they're rich folk who are clearly not on the downstairs side exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But thus far, we don't hate him or anything. So, like, how do you do that now with Bertha even spurning one of her own, you know? I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of the... The real chatter is that Bertha's pretty miserable, but mm-hmm. it's the Bertha. performance. It's Carrie Coon, you know? Yeah. So maybe you just have her... You, well, the problem is Aster's no better. So mm-hmm. she's not paired off against some ethical... You know, it's not like Clara Barton from the Red Cross stuck around and is now in her way. It's, an, it's a more evil, old money person in her way. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think she'll ever look truly evil because I think that there's more evil, <clears throat> richer people in her. Well, not maybe not richer, but pe- there are more evil traditional people in this show. Sure. Who despise, yeah, the, the poor. <laughs> I mean, um, the fact that George is not everyone's, like, most hated character because of how he manipulates the unions is, like... It's awful, you know? It's yeah. good storytelling by Julian, but it is, when you think about it, pretty rough storytelling. Mm-hmm. Does uh, does Miss Turner, or Ms. slash Miss Winterton, finally get her revenge next year? Because that was one thing that really went unfulfilled this year, was how she promised to get her revenge, and she did not get it. I think I think she's, she's definitely not done. Okay. What does she but do to I, get her revenge? What does she... Um, I, I don't know. She can't she can't play from the inside out because they sussed her spies out. Just uh, takes her clothes well, off again, tries yeah, again. <laughs> yeah, who know who knows? Maybe something happens with uh maybe there's some secret in Bertha's past we don't know about that now we can see Winterton put oh, yeah. all of her resources into digging into Bertha's past instead of trying mm-hmm. to sabotage Bertha's present. Yeah, that she recalls or knows about uh, Bertha that she can use against her. That's a good idea. I mean, if we're talking predictions now, the big prediction, I think, is Blaine's Blaine's not done. Oh, yeah. You don't get uh, what's-her-name to play that role to not come back. Uh, What's-her-name? Benanti, Laura Benanti, yeah, like she's such a known quantity on Broadway and such a well-regarded actress. Like, she has to come back. <laughs> well, the story writes itself because you know, we've mm-hmm. said it. I've seen it online, speculated by other people. We we send Susan Blaine into the into the the sunset because Larry needs to move on. Yeah, Larry has his week of crying, does not wind up hooking up with the bridge builder. But instead, nope. <laughs> re- reconnects with Marion at the end of the season. We seem to have a yellow brick road to happiness for the two of them. Next season comes up. You want to bring, you want to loop our girl Winterton into this. Winterton brings out Susan Blaine and mm. little Larry, little baby Larry. And let, let, 
why don't we take the, the turn, though, where Larry and Jack Trotta are, are deeply invested in their clock business. Mm-hmm. And so the baby has to be passed off to Jack Trotta as, as the father. <laughs> I take it. Well, I think it's we, two men and a baby. It's, it's just Jack Trotter and Larry trying to raise a baby. <laughs> I, I think ultimately we put a, a Marion in the position of, do you love Larry enough to deal with a bastard child? Yeah. I, I just like the idea that there's all these alarm clocks going off and they're no, trying to is, keep I mean, this baby asleep. That's, <laughs> his, his house has turned into a factory. Yeah, Jack, turn the clocks off. I wish I knew how to turn the clocks off. When they start, I don't know. <laughs> the baby, the baby. <laughs> We see Trotter just has no, no concept of being an upper-class society member. Oh, my God. That would be hilarious. So Jack Trotter trying to slot in beside everyone there. Uh, he just has clocks in his pocket going off all the time. Like he's, I mean, if he has uh, new money, he could be. He could. He could be surrounded with clocks. Um, what is Jack Trotter going to happen next, next season, Dave? Is it going to be that? I mean, I think it's got to be him and Larry going to business and business is booming because alarm clocks are still a real thing. Absolutely. Uh, is there any... Where does... Uh, I mean, Peggy really feels like the most unwritten like path forward. She could go any which I, way, I, I have feel. No, no idea. Like, yeah. In my, in my dream world, she goes down to Philly mm-hmm. and she marries the father of... or the adopted father of her child. Yeah, or he comes I mean, back up north and is like, "I found a, a box of his drawings and I wanted to give them to you." And then he gets a job offer at the pharmacy or something. Bring that guy back; he was good. Yeah, and do more with the parents. I mean, you have two like mm-hmm. well-regarded Broadway actors. Like, just let them cook. <laughs> uh, and they're so good in the few moments that we got the, the Scott parents. One person who we have shockingly not talked about very much at all in this half hour we've been talking is Aunt Agnes. Oh, yeah. I we, mean... When you talk about predictions, the big shift has happened in the Van Ryan house where now Ada is the one paying the salaries of the downstairs staff. Mm. So how does that affect on Ag- Agnes's ego? Oh, yeah. That'll be fun to see. And, and the funny thing is, for as much as they put uh, Christine Bransky on the posters for, these sh- for this show, she really does serve the... Uh, Dowager Countess role of just mm-hmm. being the one who's just quipping in the, on the side, even though she she really figures in heavily to the the fortune and everything here. She's just kind of backseating it. So it'd be nice to see her get like a front seat story, like you know, having to come to grips with Ada having the power in the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, how's that even affect Armstrong? Does she start serving Ada instead of Agnes, even after Agnes? Uh, you know, saved her from uh, yeah, gave her you know, the, the worst branch, outcome. Clean, you know. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think does does Agnes soften or does Agnes get more envious and jealous because now she's not the one in control? Right. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, and the Duke too. The Duke and Gladys of it all. That that's going to be it's going to be an explosive season. I think honestly, there's, there's Between... a lot teed up. There's a lot that could blow up. Yeah. Even McAllister of it all. What happens to McAllister mm-hmm. next year, Dave? I think he has to make a choice, and I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna. I think he'll choose Bertha. I can see. You him think he's going to waddle across the street back to Bertha? Okay. I think he'll after because he, he's a he's a leech, and society yeah. has shown the Met's the place to be. Mm-hmm. That's fair. 
Well, I think we've kind of covered the grounds of, you know, the plots and storylines of it all for now. We do have an aggregate of our power rankings from the season, correct, Dave? That's true. We have an aggregate of this season. And now since we're two seasons in, we can talk about who's winning the show so far. Okay. So, brief little catch-up for those that didn't know. We give number values, weighted number values to the power rankings every week. Throw them in a spreadsheet, tally them up, combine mine with Corey's, and then we have a total for the season. So, positive if you are have a good week. If you're in the green, positive points. If you are had a bad week, negative points. So, mm-hmm. we can start on the down rankings with negative seven points throughout season two between the both of us. You want to venture a guess who you think it might be. Negative seven. So that means Ooh. not a total, you know, beat down, but not good. I'll venture to say Oscar, because he has some bad beats. Not Oscar. Oscar had negative six. Oh, wow. Okay. It's actually George Russell. Well, he, he, he took a lot of L's this season between Bertha putting him in the doghouse, him having to kind of give up uh, his end of uh, leverage with, with the strike. Mm. He really came out the other end of this season taking some L's just to stay alive, essentially. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we but he's okay. A lot. He's kind of the second fiddle to a lot of these plots, and mm-hmm. he doesn't look good at all. So maybe the fact that he's not actually a supervillain the points reflect that he is an, an a-hole of sorts. So, yep. So that's third place. Second place, we have a two-way tie with negative nine points. So a little bit of a jump. You want to guess who? So, uh, well, okay. So, man, okay. Well, we took some turns there. Um, Miss Winterton. That's one of them. Or Miss Turner. <laughs> yep. Yep. She's one of them. Okay, negative, so okay, so negative. Nine oh wait, it's two people. For, it's two people. There's a tie. Oh, I, I don't know who the other one is then. Well, we said how important he'll factor in next season. Ward McAllister. Really, Ward McAllister has that many L's. Yeah, we both had him. <laughs> wow. I had him with negative five. You had him with negative four. Wow, I didn't think he came out that uh, like. Poor, poorly on the show. But isn't, isn't that but, the ultimate Ward McAllister, though? Like, negative four over the course of eight episodes means he probably had, like, two bad weeks. Yeah. But he's trying to stay away from the peaks and the valleys. You know, like, he's just scuttling in the middle poorly mm-hmm. this time around. Whereas last season... That's true. He scuttled around efficiently. He, he backed the wrong side this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he was hovering in the middle, and then ultimately he went down. Okay, nine. Okay. And, and Turner, she just never got her revenge. Makes it, yeah. it, it makes it, where's the Duke? That's my Duke. Yep. So big Number jump. One. Negative nine to negative 13. Who do you think loses the season? Um, four? No. Well, because death always is like a big factor in bringing someone down, but I don't think that sunk him that much. I, 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 I don't know, honestly. Aster. Aster. It's Aster. Bingo. You got it go. right. Yeah. I mean, she just eats losses all season from, from Bertha. She's struggling to, to win that game. Mm-hmm. Straightforward. She lost. Yeah. She walked out of that party. Yeah. She did not walk out of the academy. She tried to blackmail Bertha. It didn't work. 
I think she was going down the season before too, honestly. Yeah, yeah. She had less appearances too. So this is uh, not great for her. So now we jump to the positive side. Yeah. In third place with positive seven points. You want to guess who it is? Uh, Collier Watson, because he had good stuff going on. He's fourth place with five points. Wow. Okay. Very close, but it is our man. Greatest summer of all time. It's Larry Russell. I mean, the guy had a great summer. Mm-hmm. He got it done. <laughs> and he uh, helped launch the Brooklyn Bridge. So good good for him. Yeah, and then he dis- he kind of disappears for a few episodes, and he's kind of a you know sad boy from his Nothing. breakup. But then he comes back strong. Mm-hmm. And for reference's sake, all of the power given to Watson comes from me. I gave him six yeah. points going up. You gave him one. So To Watson? Not Watson. Um, Larry. Oh, Larry. I'm sorry. Okay. So all the love is coming mostly from me. He is. Uh, well, I, you, do like a, you do like a lover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a and fight. He, you do he's like got an undeniable run in the beginning of the season and then kind it's of un- swings uh, back. Absolutely undeniable. Yeah. So uh, second place, a big jump. Seven points was mm-hmm. Larry. Second place, 13 points. Oh, that's that's a leap, all right. Um, I, I is it Ada? No. Bertha? It's Bertha. Okay. This is much more of an even balance between the two of us, point wise. Thirteen points. Mm-hmm. Bertha wins the the opera war. What else can you say? It's as simple as that. She really just takes the cake, and yeah, shows everyone who's boss again for mm-hmm. a second season in a row. So that's George, it. meanwhile, not the boss. He does not no. wear the pants in the family. So, first place, a little bit of a jump. 15, 13 to 15. Bertha's 13, number one is 15. It's gotta be Ada. It's on Ada. There you go. Death cannot yeah. stop her. Her man's death she, cannot stop her. She found love and she found money. There you go. Yeah. For reference sake, I had on Ada leaving the season with positive five votes. You had her leaving the season with positive ten. Big fan. Big fan of Ada. You know, just seeing her happy. I think I gave her more uh, dings for the suffering. Whereas Mm. you're like, not dead yet. Not going to (laughs) penalize. Yeah. No, you got to wait and wait these things out. You you know, miracles happen. Uh, So, yeah, that's this season. I mean, Dave, you have uh, the, the aggregate of the two seasons. Yeah, hold on. Let me sort them right now. I only chose like the main characters that continued between the two seasons to to highlight for you. I I had all the data from last both of our sheets from last season, so I just updated my with everybody. Mm-hmm. So negative. And by the way, um, do you want to guess how many characters have made their way into our power rankings over these sixteen episodes or seventeen episodes? Uh, I'd say at least fifteen. Fifteen? You or yeah. It's 45 characters have made it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, there's only two seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, how many people could realistically make it on there? Well, we also have things like the Railroad Union, the Matt mm-hmm. Patrons, John Adams gets in there. You know, you just need to make a brief impression. So, yep. uh, they'll go a little faster here. The, so, we're two seasons in. The, the third worst place character, negative 10 points. We won't even guess. We'll move this along. Marion. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, is, is there much to cheer for with her? She's just she's good for the kids, I guess. There you go. Yeah. Second place, Aster. 15, negative 15. So huge okay. bludgeoning from season two moves her from negative two to negative 13. So takes it. And biggest loser of the show so far is Miss Winston, Miss Turner. Negative 21. Big jump. You know, after the first season, maybe she should have stayed gone if she wanted to have mm-hmm. her luck going her way. And I guess similarly on the upstairs, or the upvote, um, Peggy is at number three with positive 10. So her powerhouse I mean, first season was a positive 13, and then season two, negative three. So not okay. enough of a blow to knock her off her pedestal on the top. Still have hope for her. Mm-hmm. Similarly, uh, Ada, number two, 17 points going up. So very meek first season with positive two, just barely in the green. Yeah. Season two, as we said, she owns the season, Huge 15 swing. points in the green. So season two is the slam dunk. Mm-hmm. So far, number one in the show between both seasons. Strange parallel awesome. between ne- neg- the, the worst character is negative 21. The best character is positive 21 is Bertha. And I think that almost demonstrates the point I was trying to make earlier, which is we need to see something different with Bertha. Where mm-hmm. two seasons of beating Aster into the dirt, <laughs> it's run its course. Let's uh, let's have let's her make it a fair f- competition. Right, face some real hardships. Maybe that'll come up with Gladys and the Duke or something. But mm-hmm. until then, she's just winning. Yeah. And that wraps up our coverage of the Gilded Age for now. Mm-hmm. And so moving off of that show to another Julian show, except he's not having any hand in writing this one. I think he's because executive producer producer credit, but Belgravia coming back January fourteenth. January fourteenth. So chapter. what? What do we have? Uh, is is that a whole season drop or is that a? No, it's a week by week. Oh, wonderful! We love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's on MGM Plus, which it will be airing. Uh, again. You know, follow along if you if you like. If not, well, you'll so, uh, they'll be waiting there for you. <laughs> so, for references' sake, this will be that's January fourteenth. You said correct. So next do we have week, next week off. Next week off. Do we want to take a break or do we want to do a? I would love a break. All right, so I think we'll put it. We'll, we'll throw either <laughs> something up from Patreon or we will be off of your feeds next week. We're gonna take. We've been powering through most of this year. Or, or most, mm-hmm. I think, 2023. Historically, there have been times when we've taken two or three weeks off in the busy season. But this week, pedal to the metal. So we are we have earned a week off next week. Yeah. We got yeah, you can even wait holidays. to drop this episode if you want to. <laughs> Maybe. I'll take my time editing it. But yeah. I think a lot of these podcasts that I love take like the Christmas to New Year's week off. Where I'm just kind of hanging around doing chores, doing this and that. Mm-hmm. have a lot of downtime. And I said, where's my podcast? We didn't do that. Yep. We saw Wonka. We did. We went out and delivered even more content. And we did a live stream on our Patreon. So we, yeah. we're the ones that overworked. when everybody else is coming back from vacation all suntan, we say we got the cheaper rates in the resort. So we're going next week. Uh, exactly. <laughs> we're rolling with it. Well, Dave, have you been watching anything else? I know it's been a couple of days since we talked. <laughs> uh, I didn't, nothing of substance yet, but I will say that. We were talking. We were both at the same New Year's party, 
and mm-hmm. we were talking with friends as as you know the millennial conversation tends to be what are you watching and my girlfriend and i we said nothing really right now so mm. she's always been trying to get like we've watched a lot of mutual shows i've showed her shows and for the entire time we've been dating she wanted me to watch Shit's creek and i had watched the first oh. handful and i never never loved it but everyone mm-hmm. keeps saying you got to get through this first season for it to get really good so we yeah. are now i think four or five episodes into season one and we're not through the first season i don't love it yet but i, I have hope i watched the first two seasons and they're fine it's an amiable likable show but then people were telling me, no, you got to get past the first two seasons to really start liking it. And I was like, well, how many seasons do I have to get past to really get into a show? Like, it's come on now. I don't get I don't get told to put my phone down if I start like looking on Instagram during Shit's Creek. So I will say, mm. so so far so good. <laughs> it is a cute show. It is, it is a nice show. It's, it's kind of in the vein of Parks and Rec, where everyone's yeah, you know, yeah. they mean well, and so it's an easy watch. So what about you, Corey? Are you watching anything? No. Uh, just uh, Singles Inferno is back this week. I mean, literally three hours of my week are monopolized by this show, or not three hours, about two and a half are monopolized by this show every week until it's over next week. So, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a, on the Inferno Island until then. All right. Yep. But until then, until we come back to talk to you about Belgravia, unless something else comes up in the interim where we need to talk about something else, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, X. Head us up at lordsgrantham at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star rating and review if you so choose on a po- pl- uh, podcast platform that you listen to us on. You can find our whole archive on our Podbean website. You can also sign up for our Patreon where we do bonus content like that live stream Dave just mentioned. And we have the Lords of Grantham Lounge on Facebook where we chat with the listeners and stuff. And so thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the pod. Yeah.